Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andreas Show here on Monday, February 24th. Thanks so much for tuning in here today. Hope you had a fantastic weekend and are ready for uh, another week of work here. Uh, if you have any burning questions or have a subject you'd like me to talk more about or you just want to say hi, never hesitate to email me, jandreas at stingray.com or hit me up on Twitter at Jeffrey underscore Andreas. I got a good show lined up here today. First off, a great 25th anniversary weekend for the Kamloops Blazers. Many great players and coaches from the past were in town for the festivities. I saw a ton of great pictures and videos of people raking in the moments as people like, you know, Jerome Ginla and Scott Niedermeyer posed for pictures with fans. I saw lineups around the concourse there at Sandman Center as people waited for their chance to meet some Blazer legends on Saturday afternoon. Um, we had Ken, coaches like Ken Hitchcock and Tom Rennie around. Uh, it was all just a really cool opportunity, I think, for a lot of people here in Kamloops uh, to experience what those teams were like, you know, 25 plus years ago when they they won three Memorial Cup titles in four year, or five years four years, excuse me, as well as uh, those WHL championships, another three that came in the 80s. So some some really cool teams and some really awesome teams that were around, um, and this was a chance to really get the chance to to celebrate what they did for uh, our community and help bringing them together. Last week I had a chance to speak with Tom Rennie on the show, who helped lead the Blazers as coach of that 1992 Memorial Cup championship team. Uh, he was just telling me how excited he was to come back to Kamloops, and there were a number of reasons why he was excited to be here. It comes down to people at the end of the day, and, and certainly I'm looking forward to um, being uh, together again with uh, all the teams, uh, the coaching staffs, the staffs in general, uh, obviously the community that chooses to participate, and I hope it's tons. Um, just all of that. It's just a, it's a great opportunity to reflect back on some pretty special times for for Kamloops and and its uh, and its incredible fans and fan base, and, and uh, I'm looking forward to most of that. So I think it's safe to say that Rennie was probably pretty happy with what went down over the weekend. Now, of course, there was also a game to play on Saturday night, a big ceremony ahead of that game, which, of course, can make it tough to focus for some on the actual task at hand when you're looking at a lengthy ceremony uh, before the game. But, you know, it was well done by those who helped put it all together, and both teams were able to come out with a good start playing to a scoreless first period. But the Hitmen did do a better job of finding the back of the net in this one and ended up pulling out a 6-4 to win. Here is Blazers play-by-play man John Keane with a call on Calgary's Riley Stotts, notching his 23rd of the season. Badly centered in front. Couldn't get the redirect on goal. Buck into the near boards here. Blazers strange. Got a helmet in the mouth. Shoots and scores upstairs. Another shot upstairs off the wall. And the Hibben have restored the two-goal lead as the puck came off the near boards and the water bottle goes kablamo on that shot off the boards and it's going to be Stotts that'll get it. Yeah, we had Blazers head coach Sean Cluston on the NL Morning News today, and he had this to say about outshooting the Hitman 50 to 21, and uh, still coming out on the short end of the stick. It's happened a couple times. We've we've ended up on the wrong side. We we track a number of statistics, and you know, we call it our success factors, and so the players will you know get a look. So it's it's individual scores, a bunch of areas, and it adds up to, to team a team score. Um, you know, there, there's there's eight categories, and I mean, when we hit five or six out of eight, it's a real good night, and we were there. Um, you know, our score was real good as a group, and so, you know, we we try to look at you know things honestly, and you know, I think that's the you know one of the most important things a coach can do is just assess overall, not get too excited or too worked up. 
um, just because of the end result, even though it was disappointing. Um, you know, we we gave up 10 or 11 shots in the, in the final two periods. I think it was yeah, maybe 39, 11 or something. So, you know, three and a half times as, as many shots, way more ozone time. You know, some real good looks. We were able to get to their goaltender at the end and put up four. And Clouston also provided a brief update on goalie Dylan Garand's status. He continues to be out with an injury. Uh, Clouston said uh, Garand won't be ready to play next weekend, but will hopefully be back soon. A little bit ahead of schedule. Um, we're optimistic. Um, you know, he for sure will be returning. We just don't know the exact date. Yeah, so that would be a big boost to this team, uh, you know, to get their starting goaltender back, a guy who, uh, you know, was part of that top prospects game and was having a fantastic 2020 uh, before going down with that injury a few weeks ago. So it be exciting for the team to get him back. Uh, of course, as part of that uh, Saturday night broadcast, two-time WHL championship bench boss and that 1999 Stanley Cup champion, Ken Hitchcock, he joined John Keane during the first period of Saturday night's broadcast and spoke to just how good the coaches are in the Western Hockey League and sort of how that impacts the quality of hockey that we get to witness here in Kamloops on a pretty well a weekly basis. That's what you see in the Western Hockey League. I mean, you look at the guys behind these two benches. They, they, they've all, they've all had their, 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 their feet wet in, in professional hockey, and they know what to do. And so you're getting elite coaching at the junior league level, and that's quite frankly why, why the teams are so organized and they're so good, uh, because the coaches, they're not, they're already accomplished coaches that are coming back to coach because they love this level, and that's why you see so many well-coached teams now. Yeah, so a pretty exciting weekend overall for our Kamloops Blazers, and I will be joined by John Keane at the end of the program to talk more about what was a very cool weekend for the Blazers and their fan base, despite coming up short in that game against Calgary on Saturday night. So we'll break down the game and just reflect back on the weekend that was. And of course, today is also NHL trade deadline day, so it is a holiday when talking about the hockey calendar, and there has been a lot of action on the trade front here today. Uh, to kick off the back half of the show, I will be joined by the president and CEO of participation as he aims to help people get moving here in BC and specifically right here in Kamloops. We'll be talking about just how British Columbia compares to the rest of the country in terms of how active we are and what we can do to improve that ranking. So that will be coming up at around the 35 minute mark of the hour. And coming up just in a few minutes, I'll be joined by my usual Monday guest here, Kyla Lee. Among the items on our plate today, rail blockades. Uh, Public Safety Minister Blair, Bill Blair says the impact of rail blockades has been so great that they just can't be allowed to stay up. Blair was speaking at a uh, meeting of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's incident response group of cabinet ministers and senior officials um, that was uh, up on Parliament Hill earlier today. The meeting was held as the Ontario Provincial Police moved in to arrest several people who refused to leave a blockade across tracks near Belleville, Ontario. Uh, an interesting scene coming out there. Um, we've seen video of the incident uh, showing police, you know, scuffling briefly with mass protesters before uh, several people were arrested and loaded into police vans. Uh, Blair says that he and the rest of the federal government are as committed as ever to reconciliation, and he hopes meeting with Indigenous leaders can move that work forward. Uh, when talking about the Wet'suwet'en people, all five hereditary chiefs are expected to meet today to plan their next steps in their fight against the Coastal Gathling Natural Gas Pipeline. So this situation just continues to unfold, uh, continues to have a number of moving parts to this story, and uh, Kyla and I will be chatting more about the legal ramifications of it all after this. So please don't go anywhere. More Jeff Andrea show is coming up after the break. 
listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back to the show here on Monday, February 24th. And thanks so much for tuning in here to Radio NL. I am joined now by Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you doing this lovely Monday? I'm great, thank you, Jeff. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on. So um, let's just start right where the kind of the news of really the month has been, rail blockades and, and the ongoing dispute over the Coastal GasLink project and, uh, you know, with the Wet'suwet'en First Nation people. So we saw the Prime Minister last week saying that these barricades must come down and the injunctions to clear the rail lines must be enforced, calling the situation unacceptable. And then today we began seeing some arrests being made near Belleville where a blockade has been set up for a more than a couple of weeks. So I just... Uh, first and foremost to start, what are your overall thoughts on how this situation has been handled from a legal perspective? You know, as you see the situation unfold, is there anything that you think should have been done differently to this point? I think that, you know, trying to come to the table um, and continuing to make efforts to come to the table to meet with all of the interested parties um, before going into court and before ordering that uh, that blockades need to be taken down would have been a better approach. Uh, for a lot of Indigenous people in Canada, this notion of the rule of law is a colonial notion. Um, and it's it's the type of thing that, that makes Indigenous people feel like they're not going to be treated fairly because... For hundreds of years in this country, Indigenous people weren't treated fairly, and that was the rule of law. Um, and I think the, the comments that uh, Justin Trudeau made uh, last week about uh, the fact that the blockades need to come down now, right before he was supposed to go into the meeting with the with the leaders, set the wrong tone for any discussions um, and made it more difficult for things to move forward in a way where people feel like their concerns are going to be heard and where they feel like they're going to be actually given a legitimate consultation on this issue. Um, one of the things that has been discussed uh, as a result of this whole situation was just the whole issue around reconcilia reconciliation. Uh, you know, you're a Métis woman yourself. You know, there are many that have said this kind of is proving that the government doesn't necessarily care about reconciliation or this whole incident is setting reconciliation back a number of years. I guess, what, what is your point of view uh, just when talking about reconciliation? You know, I don't know that I'd go as far as to say that this sets reconciliation back, but I think it does reveal a lot of the huge complexity that there is in undertaking reconciliation efforts, because we have problems that have, have been created as a result of colonization, where you have elected chiefs making decisions for people um, and hereditary chiefs maybe not being involved as much in the decision-making process as they'd like to be, or not having their concerns heard or taken seriously. Um, and when those colonial, you know, colonial structures like democracy were imposed on some indigenous nations. That, that was something that uh, that uh, was contrary to their belief system and, and allowing them to follow through on their traditional practices is consistent with reconciliation approaches. But what's happening in this case is not consistent with reconciliation approaches. So this does reveal huge layers of complexity to this issue that I don't think is going to be solved in this case. And I think we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg here for what reconciliation is going to look like in the you know hundred years that it's going to take to get there. Yeah, I, I can imagine or I would believe that, uh, you know, whatever conversations do happen between any Indigenous leaders and the and the federal government moving forward or, or the provincial government for that matter, um, you know, are going to have a big impact on just sort of how this whole situation um, is viewed once, I guess, it is sort of coming to a conclusion. Um, you know, I guess... 
what, what do you think about the situation as it unfolds now in terms of um, arrests being made? Like, we've started seeing arrests being made this morning near that Belleville um, blockade. Um, I haven't seen much video out of Ontario yet, but I have seen a little bit, and, you know, it does look like it's heading in a bit of an ugly direction with, uh, you know, police and, and protesters sort of meeting at a head. Um, you know, what, what do you anticipate in terms of uh, reaction here? I mean, do you think this could get pretty ugly? Just in, We haven't seen a ton of violence around the situation yet, but I'm wondering if we might be heading in that direction. I think it could uh, get ugly. I mean, I think what what the approach that's being taken in the video that's coming out of, of Ontario where the arrests are being made today, um, it, it's frightening. The, the video that I've seen is from the perspective of the protesters, mm-hmm. and there's a very thick wall of police officers that are moving forward slowly, encroaching upon these people and taking them down one by one. And the imagery associated with that is very similar to imagery we've seen thousands of times in this country when, when you know, settler forces, whether it was, you know, people originally coming off ships back in the, you know, 1500s, to to now um, when Indigenous people have had something taken from them. And so it calls back all of that history of coming in in force in high numbers and taking people down. And I think that approach um, from the police was maybe not very well thought out as far as how it was going to be received just from a visual perspective by Indigenous people. So in response to that, I guess, what what do you think would make for, uh, I guess, a more appropriate um, move by police when we're just talking about the visuals that are coming out of this? I mean, uh, was there any other way to really handle this situation from from a police perspective? And what, you know, they've been uh, told for orders-wise from the federal government to to move in and start um, taking action and removing blockades and removing people from the train tracks. Um, You know, what what do you think might have been a better approach? Is there there something that can be done, uh, you know, more effectively and and, and wouldn't lead to uh, that escalation? that we saw here today? You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not a, an expert, yeah. of course, in, in police approaching situations and making arrests. But when you look at protests that were taking place in the lower mainland um, and, and throughout British Columbia over the last couple of years involving um, other, uh, uh, other pipeline activities um, and when some political leaders um, of this country were arrested, um, those arrests were handled differently. There were fewer officers. They moved in a much more peaceful manner. Um, and I I wonder why the OPP wasn't taking that same sort of physical approach. And it may be that they have different intelligence and, and different information about what might happen. Um, but, but you just look at how, you know, non-Indigenous protesters have been arrested at similar protests compared to how these Indigenous protesters are being arrested. And it does make, make you feel a little bit sick about the way that it's being handled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can appreciate that uh, sentiment as well. Um, what, what typically happens, I guess, uh, from a protester's perspective here moving forward? I mean, if you are on the lines and you are being arrested and taken down and maybe you had a a brief altercation with police um you know what what typically happens to protesters in these types of situations Generally speaking, what happens is they're arrested for violating the injunction. They're uh, they're taken to court and they have a trial for contempt and usually found to be in contempt of court on the basis of being there. Um, the concern is the circumstances where people do have a bit of an altercation with police because that can lead to charges for resisting arrest. Um, and the real question is going to be the amount of force that was used by the police officers to begin with and whether that justified the resisting actions of the individual because police are always required to try and de-escalate a situation with every means necessary before defaulting to force. And I'm not sure, you know, from the limited video that we have available, whether or not that's been happening yet in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when people do typically get charged in um, response to these types of situations, how long
long does that typically take to to get through the court system? Um, you know, just we've seen situations in the past, obviously, where where someone gets charged and it takes years um, to get to get their charges actually heard and and whether or not they're convicted or not. I'm just curious if if you know when we're looking at you know potentially hundreds, if not more than that, thousands of arrests being made as a result of this. Um, you know, we're going to see a lot of charges coming out of this. I'm sure at some point. Um, you know, how long does it take for a situation like this to make its way through the legal system? And and you know, this is a situation that's going to continue unfold probably for another few months here at the very least. It does take uh, some time. There is a benefit in the sense that anytime there's an injunction, um, there level of proof that the Crown has to bring to court to establish that the offense has been committed is often much lower because you've proved that the injunction exists, you prove that somebody defied it, um, and the essential elements of the offense are made out. Um, so that makes it easier, it streamlines the trial process. I also would expect that, you know, if hundreds and hundreds of arrests are being made, that the prosecutors are going to put together a team to deal with the arrests and to try and make this a situation where people are less likely to be, uh, to be picked up um, and then wading through the system for a long period of time and, and streamline the court process like we saw to some extent with the Vancouver riot trials um, and with other large political protests that we've seen in Canadian history. Right on, Kyla. Well, I think um, you know we're starting to run out of time. We've got about a minute left. Is there anything else that I'm, I'm sort of missing on this situation that you think is worth highlighting? Um, you know, this has obviously been, been the talk of the news cycle for the last little while. I think that everybody just needs to remember to try and keep the discussion respectful to both sides. I've seen a lot of commentary in the media, I mean, even some, some reporters in Quebec saying things along the lines of, you know, people should be shot or people should be executed, and nobody on either side of this deserves to have to lose their life for this. Um, we, are, we are a civilized country. Uh, everybody in this situation is, is a civilized person, and we need to be able to deal with one another respectfully um, and not suggest resorting to violence. Yeah, we live in this social media world, right, where people don't necessarily have to think twice before sending something out, so um, definitely some interesting comments that you have brought up when talking about uh, that extreme violence and execution. I hope uh, no one really feels that way, even if they are typing it out on a screen, but uh, thank you so much for taking the time, Kala. Always appreciate you coming on. Um, you sound like you're getting ready for some, some good court action here in the background, so enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll, we'll catch up again next week. Thank you. Awesome. That was Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. Yeah, definitely interesting uh, pictures. I would suggest uh, taking a look at some point here today if you haven't seen what's going on there out near Belleville and, and the uh, removal of people on those train tracks there. Uh, it's definitely some interesting uh, visuals to check out, so I would recommend uh, seeing what's going on in that situation. Um, and there's a lot of moving parts here, and it's going to be interesting to see how this continues to unfold moving forward. And um, yeah, like I had mentioned in the intro, the uh, wet Soweton chiefs are planning to meet today to decide how to move forward with this whole situation. So that's going to make for some interesting news here today as well. Uh, coming up next, how active are we as British Columbians? Are we better or worse than other provinces? How about us specifically here in Kamloops? Well, I'll be joined by the president of Participation after this to get into all of that. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show and thank you so much for tuning in. British Columbians are a pretty active bunch when compared to the rest of the country here in Canada, but it doesn't mean there isn't room for improvement. I'm joined now by the President and CEO of Participation, Elio Antunis. Elio, thanks so much for taking the time to join me here. 
My pleasure. Thank you. So let me just start by asking that overall question. I mean, how does BC compare to other provinces in Canada when just looking at looking at our overall activity level? Well, certainly BC is a, is is one of the most active provinces we have in Canada. Uh, overall, though, only 16% of adults are physically active enough, and 39% of kids. And although so, although BC residents fare uh, better than those numbers, you still have about 1.5 million British Columbians that are considered inactive, and so there's there's definitely room to grow. Okay, so 1.6 million. I mean, that's still a pretty high number, I think, that, uh, you know, being inactive. Um, so what what should be done, I guess, in order to get those people off the couch and, and outside and, and doing stuff? Is there anything that really can be done, um, or what is participation doing to encourage those people to get moving? Well, we've been working with the B.C. government for the last eight years on a strong partnership to be able to support uh, British Columbians to, to sit less and move more. And often, you know, people think, well, it's an individual choice. People just need to decide that they need to be physically active. And that, that's true to a certain extent. But the, the research also indicates that having a, a whole society approach to supporting individuals being physically active really is, is, is a way to ensure that we can be successful in this regard. And so we need to ensure that the environments that people, where people live, work, and play are supportive of them wanting to lead active, healthy lifestyles. And so last year, we launched a new initiative called the Community Better Challenge. And we're really trying to mobilize communities to provide opportunities and to engage their local residents in a very fun challenge where they track their physical activity for a three-week period, after which we look at all the results and we identify the most active community in Canada and award that community $150,000 to be reinvested back into physical activity and sport programs. So, sorry, just to clarify, then this is the second year of the Community Better Challenge? So uh, 2020 will be our second year, and it will launch June 1st and go until June 21st. And leading up to June 1st, what we're doing is working with communities and encouraging partnerships and local organizations to plan out uh, events and opportunities so that uh, that, that particular community uh, on June 1st can come out, come out uh, participating and tracking their physical activity minutes. Now, how, what was the uh, level of participation like just in the actual Community Better Challenge itself? What was participation like last year? Were you able to get the majority of communities in this country to, uh, you know, at least have some sort of uh, data being implemented into the system? We had over a thousand communities in our first year last year, we have, and and so we're expecting um, to even be bigger and better this year. In BC, in particular, we had 116 communities participating. So, really, uh, very encouraging numbers uh, if, for our first year last year. Um, overall, nationally, we tracked 265 million minutes of physical activity. In BC, uh, that was 110 million minutes of physical activity. So you can see that BC really stepped up to the challenge, and BC communities uh, really embraced uh, the Community Better Challenge and tracked a lot of a lot of minutes. We had over. Uh, 374,000 BC residents participate last year and uh, the results show because it was a BC community that was crowned the most active community in Canada and that was Enderby, BC. Yeah, so okay, so you mentioned Enderby won the top prize there, so what what else can you tell me about uh, communities here in British Columbia? How did we kind of do uh, overall? Were there other communities that were also, you know, in the the upper echelon of being a, a healthy, active community? I would say that Kamloops is right there. Kamloops really uh, participated well. Yeah, Kamloops last year tracked over 40 million minutes of physical activity. 
um, over 98 organizations, local organizations, held events and, and opportunities for people to be active. So I would say Kamloops was, was right there, and uh, and I would encourage and challenge Kamloops to come back because I think uh, you're committed to physical activity, and the numbers show that you have an opportunity to actually uh, win the, the grand prize this year. In, in addition to kind of the overall grand prize, we're also going to uh, this year institute a provincial prize of 15000 So we will be awarding the most active community in Canada at 150000 and then we will be awarding the most active community in each province and territory uh, for $15,000. So even if you're not there on the, on the, on the, on the, uh, the grand prize, there's still an opportunity to be uh, recognized as the most active community in your province. So does that mean whoever uh, does win that grand prize of 150000 are they going to get 15000 on top of that? Because if they win overall, clearly they're going to be the best in their province. Yeah, in that particular case, we're gonna we're gonna give a runner-up prize to that uh, to that particular community. So there'll be two awards in that particular province. Perfect. That's what I assume, but just wanted to double check. Um, you know what we're trying. You know what the information we got last year is that the the money is is obviously um, really important to communities, especially small communities. But a lot of the testimonials we got last year were that even though they didn't win the prize, they they really felt winners as a community because it was an opportunity to bring. The community together. They felt that the community became stronger, more vibrant through this particular challenge. It's fun. It's engaging. It's a way for people to connect with their neighbors um, and their friends and family within the communities they live. And, and really, it was a it was a positive uh, experience uh, for everyone involved. Now, one thing I did also kind of want to follow up on, through when looking at the release, um, you know, we talked about how BC does have the highest number of people who report being active, uh, but yet uh, one and a half million British Columbians are still classified as inactive. Um, so being one of the better provinces about being at a, active in our in our lives is, is a great thing, but yet the participation report cards show that the province as a whole just got a, or at least when talking about adults, got a D grade, and then looking at youth, slightly better with a D plus. I mean, what can we do to improve on that i mean being one of the better provinces you would think that um you know we do a little bit better than a d so you guys clearly have a pretty tough grading system how can we go about improving that grade well, that overall grade i i believe is for the entire country we we, we don't uh, we didn't break that out to the specific provinces and territories so I, I mean certainly bc has some advantages with respect to your climate and also just the attitude towards uh, being active and living active healthy lifestyles and i would say that that's probably the key thing uh, that we need to to change in in people's mindsets is that you know we need to change the social norms where physical activity just becomes something that you do as part of your everyday life. Uh, we just launched a new strategy called "Everything Gets Better When You're Active," because we want people to start thinking about physical activity not just something to help manage your weight or your appearance. But it's, it's, think, it's something that you do to help address many issues that you face on a day-to-day basis. Physical activity has proven to support your mental health. Uh, physical activity helps you sleep better. Physical activity helps you focus uh, better at school or at work. Physical activity helps you reduce uh, the chances of, of, of chronic disease and heart disease. So physical activity is, is really a key element to help you manage and address many issues on your day-to-day life. So instead of just making it a something that you put on your to-do list, integrate it into your day-to-day life and, and see it as a priority to help you address many of your other life issues.
Awesome. Well, I think that's some great advice, and it's definitely something that comes up whenever I do segments on on any sort of health-related issue. Uh, you know, physical activity seems to be one of the the things that will always help benefit your your lifestyle or whatever particular issue you might be going through. Physical activity seems to have uh, positive outcomes. Um, you know, on, on many different levels. So, definitely an important message. Anything else that you want to throw on the table here, Elio? While I have you on the phone. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly an issue that impacts uh, everyone, but there are certain populations that are that face even additional barriers. You know, older adults is a particular target audience of ours because as we age, we need to ensure that we maintain, uh, uh, you know, strong, healthy uh, uh, lifestyles to prevent falls and to, to support uh, social connections. Indigenous communities uh, obviously have certain barriers, so we're working with those communities to engage them in more physical activity. And certain areas, uh, those living in rural and remote uh, areas also have barriers uh, to being more physically active that others may not be experiencing. So the 2020 challenge will continue to, to focus on community engagement, but we will also be focusing on these key priority areas to help ensure that we have the, the greatest impact that we can. Well, Elio, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to come on and speak to me here today. I really appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we here in Kamloops can uh, you know, heed that advice and uh, be more active, and hopefully we can be the ones winning that $150,000 top prize here as part of participation. So thank you so much. I, I, look, I look forward to the opportunity to hopefully coming and presenting that check to you in the summer sometime. Thank awesome. you. And we'll get you back on the show at that point in time. All right, thank you. <laughs> That was the president and CEO of Participation, Elio Antunis. Yeah, so we got some uh, work to do here as we look ahead to uh, June 1st when that contest gets underway. And hopefully we here in Kamloops can bring home that 150 k That would be uh, pretty pretty awesome to, to win that prize and put it towards some new um, athletic uh, facilities or, you know, whatever we can do here in Kamloops to get people more active. Uh, would definitely be uh, money that would be uh, useful and worthwhile and could be spent on something that would be beneficial to the entire community. Coming up next, the Blazers fell 6-4 on Saturday night to the Calgary Hitmen. It was all part of a big celebration for Kamloops, looking back on six WHL titles and three Memorial Cups. I'll be talking with Blazers play-by-play guy John Keane next to get a breakdown on all of that, so stay tuned. More Jeff Andreas show coming up after this. The voice of your community. Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back into the show here on Monday. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope you all had a fantastic weekend. There was lots to celebrate here in Kamloops over the weekend when talking about our junior hockey team, the Blazers. They were celebrating 25 years since that last Memorial Cup title in 1995, and of course that was the third in four years. Here now to talk a little bit about the celebrations and of course the actual game that took place on Saturday night. I'm joined by Blazers play-by-play announcer John Keane. John, how you doing? Hey, good morning, Jeff. Good to be back with you here on this Monday. Yeah, love having you on. So let's just start by taking a look back at the actual festivities. We'll get into the game here, but let's just talk about what took place here on Friday night and then Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, just your overall thoughts on the, the presentation that was put forward here by the Blazers. It was a pretty cool weekend. Yeah, it really was. And, uh, you know, it opened up with, with that concert. And I think uh, everybody was kind of blown away by the quality of that concert. And, you know, all these uh, Canadian country music stars and Gord Bamford put on a good show. And, you know, I think that really kind of set the tone. And, like, I like my country music, but, uh, but uh, you know, it was one of those concerts that was, uh, you know, really just kind of kicked everything off well. Some of the alumni was back 
already for it, and uh, it, it really kind of set the tone for kind of a celebratory uh, weekend around the hockey team. Yeah, and then Saturday afternoon, there was that luncheon and then the the opportunity for fans to get it to Sandman Center and, and line up for autographs and meet and greets, and uh, man, I saw some of the pictures there uh, during the afternoon, and there were lineups that were uh, incredibly long. Uh, it was a pretty cool moment for a lot of fans here. Just, um, you know, just what, what were you seeing when you were looking at those who were coming in and trying to get autographs and, and get their pictures taken with some of the celebs that were here um you know it must have been a pretty cool moment just to look at the fans and, and some of the kids maybe who are you know blazers fans now but maybe aren't aware of this uh, pretty awesome history that the team has yeah i'm not sure you know the blazers thought that there would be that many people uh for that uh, meet and greet um you know really if you wanted to get through it you had to show up on time if you know if you were hoping to show up around four and and work your way through well good luck because you know it was just one of those uh, overwhelming type of responses from fans and and uh, doing our best to try to work everybody through the line and, and get everybody going but remember there's also a game that night so you know they had to you know shut the doors and then uh, you know re uh re-enter uh, with with everybody with game tickets and things like that so now that was overwhelming there that that brunch was a really cool event uh just kind of took time to not only look back at the hockey club but thank the veterans uh, ken hitchcock talked about you know um uh, a little bit of the uh, the tie between hockey and 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 uh, and conflict and, and war and, and kind of how the two go hand in hand and how you know the the veterans pay the ultimate sacrifice. So it was really well done there. Uh, just going around the room and hearing some stories, you know, to hear from you know the first ever digger and how the Blazer mascot came to be, and uh, hearing from Don Larson, who was the old uh, marketing guy. He had the room in stitches when he talked about um, the teddy bear toss uh, idea and how that has gone, you know, really around the world. That originated here, and he talked about how he basically was uh, saw a teddy bear fall off a shelf one time at his house and kind of had a eureka moment, and, and uh, you know, he told a funny story about his, his Pepsi toss on the ice, too, that he got fined for by the league. But, yeah, it was really good, good to, you know, have all the alumni back there, and not only just the big names, but, you know, some of the ones that don't get, you know, all the big attention, you know, some, some of those guys that were kind of the meat and potatoes, kind of the grinders of those uh, 86, uh, 84 teams, and, you know, it was a really, uh, really good event for everybody. And one of the cool things, I think, for for you, or at least, um, you know, for me trying to live through you a little bit here over the course of this weekend was, uh, you know, on the actual broadcast itself, you had some great guests coming on to do some color with you. You know, you had uh, Ken Hitchcock on in the first. I played a little clip with him earlier in the program. Uh, Tom Rennie, I believe, was on with you as well. I mean, just how cool was that for you to get some of those legendary coaches there on the mic and, and having a chance to uh, not only, you know, call the game with them there with you, but have a little chat with, uh, you know, sort of how they view the WHL and, and, you know, how important it was in their careers. Yeah, and, yeah, that was pretty cool that they were all uh, ready to do that on a, on a night where, you know, there's lots going on. And, uh, you know, to sit beside Ken Hitchcock and do a game, here's your third uh, all-time winningest head coach in the NHL, a Hall of Famer, and you know, just the way he sees the game. And, I, I, you know, I wish that we had more time because, uh, you know, there, there's a lot to kind of unpack with that. Uh, that. That was really good. Tom Rennie, I know, was on your show uh, recently here as well. And, you know, you think about what he uh, had to kind of uh, do a kind of a, a statement 
state of the game, uh, state of the union about hockey when, you know, really the game was under attack there from, you know, some movements and things like that uh, and did a great job there. And then Shane Doan. Yeah, Shane Doan was into it. Like, he was uh, he was really uh, passionate. He he called uh, the power play goal before uh, before the Blazers scored, and, you know, he was uh, looking for that tying goal late. So it was pretty neat to have. Basically, you're going to have three hockey Hall of Famers when all is said and done and, you know, taking some time out to, you know, to, for our listeners uh, on and out. It was, uh, it was a great moment. Yeah, totally, totally an awesome moment, I think, for sure. Um, so let's uh, actually get into the game itself. We've uh, spent a lot of time kind of looking back at the celebrations, but I would love to just get into the actual game. Uh, Blazers, you know, put up a real good fight, putting 50 shots on goal, uh, but still came out on the short end, losing 6-4. to four. Um, Just, you know, overall thoughts on, on the effort. I mean, uh, like I was saying, 50 shots for Kamloops to, I believe, 21 for the Hitmen. Um, you know, it looked like the ice was tilted at times, but uh, just, the, you know, the the Hitmen were able to get a few more pucks past Ramsey. Yeah, 50, 50 shots is kind of a bad number for this team this year. They've only won once when when uh, putting up 50 shots on goal. And, um, you know, 37-11 to 11 over the final two periods uh, as well. And, you know, um, I think the the team felt they played good enough to win and actually blow that game out. But, it, you know, probably went down to goaltending. Their goaltender, Braden Peters, is really good. I think, I'm not sure if he was a star in the building. He was a star on our broadcast, though. And uh, Calgary is really opportunistic. You, you look over the last two periods, if you include the empty net, Jeff, they scored six times on 11 shots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's tough. You can't really win many games when that's going on, too. A tough night for race. Uh, you know, it just didn't go his way, and there were some really uh, well-executed shots, uh, you know, into the upper part of the net and off the bar and crossbar and goals, and that was tough. And uh, on the other side, you got one guy playing, you know, one of his better games of the year. So, you know, you can't win them all, and, and obviously uh, that was only the fifth regulation loss on home ice all year. And um, Bad time for it, but in overall, I think everybody was entertained that it was still a, still a pretty good night. Mm-hmm. Uh, Logan Stankoven, you know, he, he gets another one. I, I think I may have asked you this probably same question or similar question uh, in the last week or so, but, you know, he gets another goal on Saturday night. He's up to 26, dozen games left now to go, and I believe he's just three goals away from that 16-year-old rookie goal record. Uh, seems like a near lock to get there, but just, you know, what has happened to this guy over the last few weeks? He just seems to be almost unstoppable right now. Well, it's funny, you know, because we have both uh, in the in the city this weekend, uh, Rob Brown and, and Greg Hoggood, who, you know, have the two highest totals for goals since a 16-year-old. Um, and I was talking to, to Rob about that, and it was funny. He's like, you know, my 16-year-old year, he, he scored 29 goals, by the way. Uh, that's the team record. He was a defenseman that first year. Uh, and then they realized, oh, maybe maybe he's better off up front there for the rest of his goals. So, um, you know, that's pretty incredible. But uh, getting back to Logan, yeah, he just continues to kind of build off this little run and little bit of confidence that he's on right now that's you know goals in five straight games and eight overall and you know now I think he starts to look at the number 30 here and <laughs> that's pretty incredible for a 16 year old but you know the, the goals for him have kind of come in bunches this year Jeff like he's gone through a little bit of some droughts and then and then he explodes like like he's doing right now and you know our, our fans just love him and um, you know he's been such a such a great uh, pickup with that fifth overall pick back in 2018. Yeah, definitely a fun story to watch. A great, uh, great young player that I, I've always enjoyed watching here over the course of this season, and I'm just looking forward to continuing to watch him. and And I really do hope he uh, just gets that record, gets to that 30 goal mark, just because it would be really cool to see. Thanks so much for taking the time, John. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll look ahead to the next game here, which is all set for a Friday night in uh, Prince George. So we'll listen for you then. Yeah.
You betcha. Yeah, home and home with Prince George. So back on home ice Saturday night. Right on. Thanks so much, John. That was the Blazers play-by-play announcer, John Keane, taking a look back at that 25th anniversary celebration. And, of course, that disappointing 6-4 to four loss to the Hitman. But it uh, doesn't uh, affect the standings too, too much. If I have them pulled up here in front of me, the Blazers are still sitting in first with 74 points, with the Royals now seven points back. But uh, Kamloops does have two games in hand now. So uh, some substantial room to, uh, to play with. All right. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me and of course a big thank you to all of you for listening and remember whether you join me for a short while or a long while just know i enjoyed our time while it lasted i'll be back here tomorrow at nine